When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and now it is time for the Jack Riccardi Show. See, the way you said it there, it didn't sound like you were full of dread. No pressure either? Well, sometimes the way you say it, it's like, mm-hmm. you're, it's like you're a doctor giving the patient bad news. Like, you know, we've gone over your x-rays. <laughs> is that what it's, it's like? It's time for the Jack Riccardi Show. Yeah. <laughs> Next hour, it's going to be, it's time. to a lot of men your age. Yeah. <laughs> I, this does happen to a lot of men your age. So anyway. <laughs> right. All right. Well, good afternoon. Welcome to our dreadful little show. Hope you had a good weekend, and um, we'll talk about that. And um, I want to start with something that uh, I'm not mad. I just feel sorry for people. I'm not mad. I, I feel very bad for the people this is going to affect. But I read today, and, and I'm not making this up, that uh, the same phenomenon that we talked about last week with the Roald Dahl books where they hire these people um, who are sensitivity experts. They, they, in other words, they hire people whose job it is to be offended by material. Uh, they go through the material, they highlight what's offensive, and then they change it. So they rewrote Rolled Dahl's books, his classic books like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, they, they rewrote them to bring them up to present-day woke status. And then at the end of the week, remember, we had the update, I think it was Friday, where the publisher came out and said, well, it actually, uh, we're going to just have both versions. Now, they've come for the James Bond books. And I know you think I'm going to be mad about this because you know how I feel about James Bond. You know, these are my favorite movies. These are my favorite books. I live, breathe, and eat this stuff. I, no one could, could beat me in a James Bond trivia contest. Not that I've tried, but I know I could win it. But I'm not mad. I'm just, I feel sorry because this won't affect me because I have the hard copies of the books. If you buy real books, you won't have to worry about this. If you buy used books, if you go to half price books, or you buy books from thrift books or garage sales, you'll be fine. I feel sorry for people that will never get to experience the Ian Fleming novels on which the movies are based. They're so good. And yeah, they're of a period. They're of a time. They were written in the 1950s and 60s, and they reflect wording and depictions and so forth. But that's okay. That's what art is. Art is, art is trans formative and it's 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 transportative if i can make up a word it takes you back to a place it takes you back to a moment when you look at a painting of a lady sitting in a chair you're in that room in that moment where she was it it doesn't matter that that room doesn't exist anymore and she's dead and times have changed and people don't dress like that we don't change the painting but we're changing the books so apparently according to the london telegraph sensitivity readers that's what they're called have been hired to go through the James Bond novels and uh, correct terms and attitudes that would be offensive to modern readers. And this is as we come up on the 70th anniversary of the first ever Bond book, the book Casino Royale. So Bond is a single, straight, white man 
who has a lot of sex and uh, employs violence and uh, drinks heavily and doesn't really care what anybody thinks. Um, and that's reflected in the way these books are written. By the way, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing the title Octopussy has got to go. I think that's probably already. I don't know what it'll be, but I'm pretty sure that'll be gone. Um, but there are some depictions of ethnic groups and racial groups that, again, are of the moment. Um, I do wonder sometimes why somebody like the Ian Fleming estate would agree to this, which apparently they did. Uh, because people that are offended by 60-year-old books are the ones with the problem. The books are not the problem. Okay, the work of art is not the problem. And if you're offended by something, you have the responsibility to take yourself away from it. That's all. Even Whoopi Goldberg, I mean, you know how we feel about Whoopi Goldberg on this show. Even Whoopi Goldberg, Don Cooper, says this is a mistake. (laughs) I mean, even Whoopi says, leave the books alone and put a disclaimer on them if you have to. What do you think? 210-599-5555. 210-599-5555. I'm not mad. I'm, I'm not even surprised. I feel a little sad for people. I feel sad for because pe- I write a book blog and I love sharing my love of books and recommending books. And I, I feel sorry that there might be someone who would be entertained by the books as they were written and might not be able to find them now because the ebooks or the new public, newly published books will be sensitized. Get used books. Buy used books. And when you love a book or you love an author, own it. Own a hard copy of it. They may come for it someday, like in Fahrenheit 451, but at least you'll have it for now. Tell me what you think about that. 210-599-5555. The Wall Street Journal has an interesting piece about the war in Ukraine today. And what it says is that despite what Joe Biden and all the other Western leaders say about Ukraine, all the the hearts and flowers they throw at President Zelensky. Western leaders are privately telling Zelensky, you're not going to win. You can't win. You need to make a deal. You need to make a, a, uh, you need to make a ceasefire and negotiate an end to this war. You aren't going to win. So this would be Macron. This would be the Chancellor of Germany. This would be the Prime Minister of Britain this month, whoever that is. This would be President Joe Biden, et cetera, et cetera. They're all telling Zelensky something different than they're telling him publicly, meaning than they're saying to their own people. They're telling him you can't win. They're going to get you, and you need to negotiate. And I've heard a lot of people say that. And I've heard a lot of people um, also ask a really good question. And I'll, I'll ask it in simplified form. It's a little more complicated than this. But if the concern about Russia is NATO, then why would NATO be giving away its own weaponry to Ukraine? Would you not need what you're giving to Ukraine in the event that, and I don't think it's going to happen, but in the event that Putin invaded Poland, let's say. So we're going to talk about that. Woody Harrelson, comedian Woody Harrelson, uh, co- uh, hosted Saturday Night Live, which I didn't see, but I watched the monologue. I watched the replays um, over the weekend. So he hosted Saturday Night Live, 
And let me let me set this up. He started the monologue by kind of saying, you know, I'm a he calls himself a redneck hippie and he says, I'm not blue and I'm not red and I'm not left and I'm not right. Here's Woody Harrelson just kind of introducing himself. This is this is kind of, you know, who I am. Do we have that? I forget which cut that is, Don. Is that cut number three? Yeah, cut number three. Ladies and gentlemen, Woody Harrelson. <laughs> so this is when he first comes out onto the stage and greets the audience at the beginning of the show. Hello, you beautiful people. And, and you ugly people, too. No, I jest. Uh, this country seems so divided, beautiful, ugly, black, white, blue, red. I love everybody. Maybe because I'm a redneck hippie. Okay, so he says, I'm a redneck hippie. I love everybody. I don't, you know... I want to get along with everybody. Then he got into a thing where he talked about um, the, you know, sort of the the unholy alliance of big government, big pharma, vaccine uh, mandates. And he said, what if there was a movie script of the last two years? What, what would happen if, if you took and you wrote a movie script based on what happened in the last two years? Cut number four. Okay, so the movie goes like this. The biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes. And people can only come out if they take the cartels drugs and keep taking them over and over. I threw the script away. I mean, who is going to believe that crazy idea? (laughs) It could never happen. That's crazy. That would be an implausible Script for a movie, says Woody Harrelson, who's, you know, been in a few movies. So the left is sharpening their knives to this guy. They've come out for Woody Harrelson. The cancel mob is on its way. And they're bringing up the fact that Woody Harrelson has said a lot of crazy things over the years. He's a 9-11, uh, 9/11 uh, truther. And he's a conspiracy kook and Rolling Stone magazine says nobody with a brain listens to Woody Harrelson. And, and by the way, he is a conspiracy kook. And I'm not saying that he's a, a great thought leader or anything. But you know what's really interesting about the denunciation of Woody Harrelson? Woody Harrelson was on Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live, when it started in, I think, 1975, if I am remembering right, was a countercultural show. Comedy on the networks was basically Johnny Carson and the variety shows, Carol Burnett, and they wanted something that was for younger, hipper, you know, lefter people. And Saturday Night Live was, was, was cunning and was clever and it was diabolical and it knew how to step right up to the line without going over it. And it, it knew how to, it knew how to, you know, wink and a jab, kind of make the jokes that, that Johnny Carson and others were not making. And it, it's been a hit. Woody Harrelson was doing what Saturday Night Live was created to do. Woody Harrelson was doing what American liberalism used to be. I, I, I hate to break it to the left, but this is who you really are. Mistrust of the man, 
mistrust of the government, mistrust of profit-seeking, greedy corporations, you're eating your own. Woody Harrelson is a throwback. He's what American liberalism used to be. This is how they were about the Vietnam War. This is how they were about the rich. This is how they were about Republicans. This is how they were about, I, I mean, you name it. You take your issue. Now, again, I'm not the biggest Woody Harrelson fan. Little of him goes a long way for me. But I'm just saying it's it's fascinating to me that he is showing them almost like a mirror of themselves, and they want to cancel him. I, I imagine he'll probably never be on Saturday Night Live again, and he probably doesn't care. But if you want to see the whole thing, I've got a link uh, in my column at KTSA.com. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. KTSA News Time 424. Jack Riccardi live on KTSA right now and also available as an on-demand podcast anytime you want. Just look for the Jack Riccardi Show at KTSA.com or anywhere you get podcasts. All right, so we're going to rewrite the James Bond novels to reflect modern-day sensitivity. This is really uh, a thing where we're changing other people's work, other people's words, in order to, we say, improve them. And somebody asked me if this is censorship, and it, and it is and it isn't. It's, it's not censorship when a publisher changes what he publishes. Because you're a consumer, you're a customer, you're not in a forced relationship there. I, I do think you could argue that it is censorship of an author who's no longer able to speak for himself. Roald Dahl, who we talked about last week, and Ian Fleming, who we're talking about now, have been dead for many, many years, decades. So we're taking what they created, the stuff that has their name on the front of it, we're changing it. The people who are changing it aren't putting their name on it and aren't talented enough to write a book or create something like this. So they're glomming on to somebody else's work and creation and without his approval, changing it. Yeah, that, that does sound pretty Orwellian. But I, I think the only way around this, because I, this is going to keep going and it's going to run its course, and I don't know how long it will go or how far it will go, but the only way to get around this is hard copies of books. This means you can't depend on ebooks, you can't depend on new books. If you want to read what the author really wrote, you're going to have to go back and buy an older edition, which is what I do anyway, and a lot of book lovers do it. We've, we've done it forever and a day to save money. Now you've got a new reason to do it. Tell me what you think, 210-599-5555. Um, again, I'm, not, I'm beyond being angry about this, you know, that's that's that that day has come and gone for me. Obviously, we're shredding and and reformulating everything we can get our hands on. Um, it, it, it is inevitable that people who believe they are in charge of the culture and people who believe that they are are superior to every other generation that has come before them. Which imagine how puny you would have to actually feel to tell yourself 
that about yourself, right? You, you, these must be the most inadequate men and women ever to walk the earth. But in any event, they're doing it. We know they're going to do it. There's going to be more of it. Today it's Ian Fleming. We'll see who it is tomorrow. Um, the, the revisions are, are silly. Um, and as people have pointed out with the Roald Dahl books, also boring. Um, but you know, I, I, I think, I think in a way it just points out what we've always kind of known, which is that you need to own stuff that you can't trust to others. Whether it's homeschooling your kids because you can't trust that to somebody else, whether it's, you know, having your own, um, emergency supplies like a lot of people did during COVID or Y2K, or whether it's saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make a list of the authors and the books that mean the most to me. And I'm going to go out and buy hard copy books of them, versions of them. This is just what you have to do. You can still fight the culture war, but don't forget to secure yourself before you do. So we're talking about that. Are, are the, um, Western governments led by the United States lying to Zelensky in Ukraine? I would say they are. The Wall Street Journal says they're privately telling him that you cannot win the war against Russia and you need to begin peace talks and, and in fact, even suggest that NATO will condition its future support of, of uh, Ukraine on that. Meaning, if you guys don't come to the table and negotiate with the Russians, you're not getting more aid. How pathetic is it that leaders like President Joe Biden are publicly saying for as long as it will take, he just said it, what, last week, right? For as long as it will take, for as much as it will take. He issued a blank check, which, by the way, constitutionally he can't do. But more importantly, how pathetic is it to say that publicly so you look good, but privately to tell this guy the truth? which is there is a limit to what we can give you or will give you. And there is a limit to what you're going to be able to do given the vastly larger resources of Russia and the insanity of Putin's, you know, scorched-earth policy. Macron, the French president, telling Zelensky he's been a great war leader, but that he'll eventually have to become a political statesman and make difficult decisions, says the Wall Street Journal. And um, other leaders saying we may get to a point where liberating Ukrainian territory costs more lives than it will save. There may be a point where Ukrainians need to start thinking about another outcome. This is a Czech leader saying this. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what, whatever you think of, of all this, that is real. That's That's reality. And it just goes to show that we... We really, it's true of almost everything we talk about. There's one version they tell you and say for us, and there's one version behind closed doors. And so we're talking about that. We're talking about uh, the Bond books. 
Talking about Woody Harrelson on Saturday Night Live. 210-599-5555. we got a new JR poll question about the pitch clock in baseball. We're going to talk about that and get to your calls as well. You can join the show two ways. You can call in 210-599-5555 right now, or you can shoot me an email, jack at ktsa.com. An update on the ride home after I tell you about Helen's Money Team with Guild Mortgage, who are mortgage bankers. So when you need a mortgage to buy a house or you want to refinance the house you're in, you know where you want to go with that. You know why you want to do it and what your purpose is. But which mortgage is the right one to get there? Which one will be the right one for you? And there's so many. You can't possibly wrap your arms around all the, and they're changing, and there's new ones every week. So these are the folks that, that have access to all that, know about the different kinds of mortgages, whether you're buying a single-family house, a multifamily house, whether you're eligible for this but not eligible for that. If you're refinancing, how should you do that? And and they give you great advice and access to the right mortgage. So in one call to 210-403-0808, you've got the right products, you've got the right advice. Helen's Money Team with Guild Mortgage, 210-403-0808, or go to helensmoneyteam.com. Helen's Money Team with Guild Mortgage, equal housing lender, company NMLS number 3274. Stevens Roofing presents the fifth annual... Had one of those... Um, Relaxing and productive weekends. That's kind of, you know, going to have some of both. Uh, feel good about that. Uh, if you know anything about the, the James Bond movie series, you know that, that, that actually there were relative, there, there have been like 25 movies, but there were, were relatively few Ian Fleming books, just a handful and a couple of short stories. And so they, in making the movies and in, in going through Sean Connery and, and, and Roger Moore and then, uh, you know, Pierce Brosnan and now Daniel Craig and whoever's next, the, 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 um, movie people, the, the production arm had to extrapolate, extend, imagine, you know, kind of stretch. And they did a good job of it. I mean, so when you watch a lot of the James Bond movies, there's nothing of Ian Fleming in there, nothing he wrote, nothing. He, but they but they stayed true to the character. They worked with what little they had, and they extended it, and that's why it's the longest-running, most successful movie series ever, 60 years and counting. But it's funny to me that you could go all that time, and people would say, no, we've got we've to keep this guy as he was created. We respect the creator. Now you've got people who are sensitivity readers. What a, that just sounds like a terrible job. Good Lord, I'd rather not have a job. Sensitivity readers are people who are hired to be offended and take offense and weed it out. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not in denial. Some of the Ian Fleming stuff is, is bigoted is racist live and let die is a mess i mean it's 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 a it's a cesspool of bigotry but that's how he wrote it okay that's how the movie was made in 19 i think 73 or 71 whatever it was i mean that, that that's that's how they were made and when you read old books or you watch old movies they take you back to a place that really existed. This is how people really talked. This is how people really related to each other. This is how white people talked about black people behind their back. This is how black people talked about white people behind their back. It, it, there's no changing that. I think it's better to know it 
I, I like going back to a time that I realize doesn't exist anymore, and, and not one that I'm nostalgic for bringing back, but I like to know how, how was it back then? How did people live and relate? And, and, and you get that. And I think it's healthy to see that. I think it's, I think it's mind expanding to see that. And you don't read a book with a, with a outdated term in it and then start throwing that around in your everyday. Nobody does that. That'd be stupid. Any more than you try the stunts you see on movies. You, you, you jump off bridges or the top of your house or try to fly or, no, obviously. 210-599-5555, even the views Whoopi Goldberg saying, y'all got to stop this. <laughs> Just put a disclaimer on it. Uh, yeah, I think um, even as a kid, I remember reading things and, and making the distinction. I'd read an old book and there'd be a, a word in there that we don't use anymore or that's impolite now. And it was interesting to me and educational to me to understand that the person using it in this book wasn't being impolite. That was the common word. Because it tells you that we change, we evolve over time. Things aren't going to stay exactly the way they are. These sensitivity readers, I have news for them. Whatever standard they think is perfection in in the current day, it's going to change. Because we're, we're always changing. What do you think? 210-599-5555. So now we know um, that based on the reporting of numerous publications, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, and others, by the way, the headline of the New York Post, it had to be woo. Now we know that the Department of Energy has concluded that COVID-19 came from a Chinese lab. The intelligence supports the lab theory. This is now the position of the federal government. And um, maybe you're saying, well, Jack, I knew that, or I thought that all along. There may be a debate, but now the debate will include the position of the federal government. But you remember, and I remember, and you may have experienced it personally, and I did, if you talked about the lab theory, you were a conspiracy kook, or you were a racist, or you were a racist conspiracy kook. And even though the most obvious explanation, just the thing that always seemed like the most likely explanation, and now has turned out to be the explanation, apparently, even though it was obvious and it was sort of right there in front of us, you were told not that it wasn't that they could tell you you were wrong. It was that they wanted you to shh, stop talking about it. Don't talk that way. And the fact checkers came out. They said it was doubtful that the pandemic originated from a lab leak. No, it was likely that it did. But here's the other thing. How much, and I don't know the answer to this, I'm asking rhetorically, how much of the fact-checking and shushing was people trying to curry favor with the communist Chinese? How much of it was even bought and paid for by the communist Chinese? In other words, I'm not putting it past some of these gatekeepers who, who claimed they were just trying to clean up my racism or your 
affinity for conspiracy theories. I, I would like to know, you think maybe some of them were actually doing the paid job of Beijing? Because Beijing is projecting a benign image in the world. It wants to be the soft power, superpower. We're going into undeveloped countries. We're investing. We're, we're giving the, the kind of aid that 50 years ago America was known to give. Now we're giving it. We're loaning money, low interest, poor countries. We're building roads and we're building hospitals and we're providing medical and other technologies. We're going to be the, China is going to be the, the, the key nation for EVs. There's no doubt about that. None. So maybe they hired some people in our media to shoot down, knock down, shush the lab leak talk. They sure worked hard at shushing it, given that it was always the most obvious thing to look at. It was, it was certainly, if you were gonna, if you were going to debunk conspiracy theories, it wouldn't have been the first one to debunk. And now apparently, it's the position of the DOE. And we gotta remember, it's important to save the receipts here. Not, not for revenge or to, to mock or belittle. I'll tell you why. It's important to remember who was pushing this the hardest. So when people like Tom Cotton or Ted Cruz or Tucker Carlson or Joe Rogan would just wonder aloud or explore, it's important to look at the publications and the people that, that shamed them and silenced them or tried to. The New York Times, CNN, Time Magazine, and here's why it's important. Again, not because I'm trying to be petty, but because now they're doing it again. Whether it's with climate change, whether it's with um, the war. Same principle. If you are questioning what we're doing, we don't have to engage. We don't have to debate. We don't have to answer. We can just say that you're you're crazy or you're a Putin lover, or you're a fascist, or you hate freedom. Just remember the people who did this with COVID origins. They had a, they had a, a great opportunity, those publications, those media giants. They could have been demanding. They could have been pushing the Trump administration. Hey, find out where this came from. We need to know people are dying all around the world and in our country. Economies are dying. Children's education and spirit are dying. We need to know who did this. Did somebody do this? Is this the greatest sort of humanitarian crime in modern history? They could have pushed for that. They should have pushed for that. It would have been consistent with the role of a free press, but see, they didn't do that. And so I wonder why. And I'm not sure it was just because they hated Trump. I know that was part of it. They hated him. They weren't going to, they weren't going to give any credence to anything he put forward. Once he became an advocate of the Wuhan theory, that theory was, was doomed in their minds. But I also wonder if there weren't some money involved. If they weren't hired. Hired media. Wouldn't be the first time. Won't be the last time. It does make you wonder sometimes about how ardent and how um, 
married they get to one school of thought, one idea. I mean, they really close themselves off to every other thing. Now, now they all look, they, they look ridiculous. They look completely ridiculous. Maybe they're willing to look ridiculous because it was worth something. Just wondering about it. So um, I saw a cap the other day that said, Make Orwell Fiction Again. Like, Make America Great. Make Orwell Fiction Again. I, I think we're going to need that. Uh, we'll talk about the James Bond rewrites and Ukraine and Wuhan. The virus came from the Wuhan lab, either leaked or intentionally released. Uh, this is now... Intel in the hands of the U.S. Department of Education, according to several publications that reported on the memo, including but not limited to the Wall Street Journal and the New York Post. And we're asking you about this today, too, on the JR poll, which you can vote in on Facebook or at KTSA.com, or we can talk about it right here. Um, there's a new uh, pitch clock in Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball is just playing uh, spring training games right now, so they don't count, but it's it's already creating some confusion um the rules for the pitch clock say that the batter has eight seconds to get ready in the um batter's box it also puts a time limit on um how long the pitcher has between deliveries you know pitches uh and some other things it it requires the each hitter to get to the plate within 30 seconds of the previous hitter so they're trying to put a clock on a game that that has always been famous for not playing to a clock. In other words, baseball, unlike basketball, football, hockey, doesn't have preset periods, quarters, what have you. It has innings, which can take as long as they take. And baseball games have been getting longer. And the concern is that they're getting too long to... to um, Hold fans. Fans are losing interest or, or younger fans are not staying with games. So we got to speed up baseball. I, I got to say, I know this is new and, and maybe, maybe I'm, I'm jumping the gun, but I don't think this is the answer. I, I personally don't think this is the answer. And I consider myself a baseball fan, not as much as I used to be. But here's the thing about baseball. Don't watch baseball. Don't watch baseball if you're in a hurry. That, that's not what it's for. Some things take the time they take. You know, there's certain things you can cook faster. There's certain shortcuts you can take in the kitchen. There's certain shortcuts you can take in a lot of things. And then there are other things in life that just take as much time as they take. And there's something about baseball. Yeah, it is. A, it's a slower sport. It's not for everyone. I, I get it. I the number one reason people would give when they would say, oh, I don't watch baseball. You watch baseball? I don't watch baseball. They'd always say the next words out of their mouth, him or her, would be, it's boring. And that's okay. I, I, I get it. You know? You find baseball boring? I, I'd probably be bored walking around an art gallery. But that doesn't mean I look down on the people that do. So do we need a pitch clock or a, a timer in baseball? I don't. I don't think we do. I, I will say this, and, and this is not meant to be a criticism, and I know I'm generalizing, but maybe, <laughs> pardon me, maybe the, oh my gosh, is this going to go on for three hours thing is also a generational thing. Like, you know, 
I, I do think a lot of younger, a lot, not all, a lot of younger people that watch sports, they, they want bite-sized, they want highlights, they want, you know, recaps, show me the highlights, show me the top 10 catches, show me the, the top 10 plays. ESPN and Sports Center have adapted to that. They're becoming more highlight-oriented and less long-form-oriented. And I think there'll be even more of that as time goes on. I just, I, I, I do think, and I'm not saying it as a criticism, younger people have a shorter attention span. And they, they're conditioned to getting their entertainment in shorter chunks and having instant gratification. And they may not be the people that will ever appreciate, or until they get older maybe, will not appreciate a baseball game that just unfolds. And it takes time, and there's strategy, and there's trips to the mound, and there's and there's you know um, conferences between pitchers and catchers, and there's um, guys you know going through their rituals in the batter's box, and it's it's just part of the game. I don't think it's a flaw in the game. What do you think? Do you like the idea of the pitch clock? Are you relieved that the games will go faster? Do you? I mean, we're not actually sure they will. But this is the reason for it. Do you think it's a good idea? Are you out to lunch on it, wary of it? It, it? Would you be more likely to watch baseball games if this made them go by faster? Or would you be less likely? Because one thing about this is now this is a an extra, like with instant replays and you know appealing the calls of officials, now this is an extra layer too. And it's going to take some time to assess, well, we're going to give this guy a base or we're going to call this guy out, or whatever it is. So it may not pay off the way people think it will. I know you're mostly a football guy, but any thoughts on the pitch clock in Major League Baseball? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, before before I fell into radio on accident, I did like eight straight years of baseball. All I wanted to do was be mm. second baseman for the New York Yankees. Mm. You know, So I hear you talking about this, and there's one phrase that comes to my mind. If you want to avoid a bad end, you avoid the beginning. And I'm afraid baseball's at the beginning. Meaning they're going down a dangerous road? Yeah, because I get that you want that younger generation to, to, to take an interest. Baseball participation in Little League, that's even, that, that's down. Video games and devices are affecting sports, music, and everything. But the, the problem, Jack, is that you might be losing the heritage supporters like yourself, like yep. people who have been with this game for decades, not kids who are barely 10, you know? Not only that, but, you know, you make the point about, okay, so when you were growing up, you fantasized about playing baseball. Mm-hmm. You probably played it in the backyard or in the street. Oh, I did. Constantly. Today's kids are doing that with soccer, which I get, and that's, that's mm-hmm. fine. That's great. When you get older and you start to have a longer attention span or you start looking at sports as something to unwind with, not for the adrenaline rush, if baseball is what it has been, you will come to it. Yeah. And I'm not sure that it just may not now. be for all. It may not be for all ages. It's not, but it, you can't deny that. If I look at my dad's generation, all he did was play the trumpet and play baseball. There was yeah. no devices. There was no video games. There were far fewer movies, TV shows. Right. right. So, is it the people or is it the times? 
maybe it's both. I don't know. Yeah, it's probably both. But yeah. I just again, I just think that you get to a point in your life where you're you are able to maybe invest the time or spend the time, and you even like doing that. But yeah, when you're young, you're a man in a hurry, young man in a hurry. You know, it's mm-hmm. a cliche, but it's true. Um, I, I think they don't know. I don't. I, you're right. I mean, they don't know their. They can't read the room. They they don't know mm, who, no. who they're trying to get or who is realistic for them to uh, target. And you're, where will it end? I mean, will it eventually be like the the players are running out of the dugout and like you know starting to swing well, before they plant their feet or or what? Wasn't it a couple of years ago they were going to start extra innings with a guy on second that didn't earn it? Yeah, they're doing that too. They're doing they call it ghost runners. Did yeah. they bring that back? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. See, we did that in in the neighborhood in streetball because we had to go home and eat dinner pretty quick. Right. The lights were going to get turned off. Yeah. We better score. That's Major League Baseball. You, you got to yeah. leave it, and you've got to trust in a game that's been great for what a century, more than a century. I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. That's our question on the JR poll tonight. Um, will the new pitch clock in Major League Baseball make you more or less likely? To watch. I mean, I'm going to check it out. Um, I haven't watched a game yet with it. I've, I've read about it. I, I, I don't watch the preseason games or the spring training games, I should say. But um, we'll see. I, I, I somehow think it will probably wind up not doing even what it's setting out to do. Something tells me that in the adjusting, in the adjudicating of it, it will wind up being a wash. Whatever time it's say, whatever whatever seconds it's shaving off, it will add back in because remember when we when they added instant replay to other sports, that made for more time. That took time. I mean, it might be a good thing in and of itself to be able to review a a botched call or a botched play, but then it also adds time. This will add time, and I'm not sure it will wind up as a net savings of time. I know there's people smarter about this than I am. I, I'm not. I'm sure the people in Major League Baseball have studied all this, but that's just how it's just how it sounds to me. Two ten, five nine nine, fifty five fifty five. Um, so we've been talking about that. We've been talking about the the James Bond, the rewriting of the James Bond books, and Ukraine, and the COVID lab leak. The uh, story there is that now the um, now apparently the U.S. Department of of Energy has um, a paper has a finding that they are calling preliminary that covid came from uh that lab in wuhan china and you're like uh, i'm not falling out of my chair with shock here jack but remember that when you would talk about that in 2020 or 2021 you were a racist you were a xenophobe you were a hater and i'm sure some of that had to do with the fact that trump took that position you know Trump could tell you today's Monday, and they would call that a controversial statement, right? But in addition, there was a real um, uniformity and alacrity to the way certain media outlets knocked that talk down. It was so disciplined. It was so amazingly consistent and energetic that it made me wonder, are, are they just propagandists are they are they just because this is of course no matter how advantageous it is to you and your anti-trumpism the real threat of the covid uh, excuse me of the wuhan lab leak story is the damage it does 
to communist China in the world at a time when they're trying to emerge as the new benign superpower. They want to be the United States of the 21st century. They want to be that country other countries feel comfortable nestling under the wing of. And they're trying to put a smiley face on a totalitarian concentration camp operating, free speech suppressing regime and a country that can be, they barely have control over themselves, the Wuhan lab is a, is a disaster for them. It's a total disaster. So if you reverse engineer it, why wouldn't they make sure they could secure defenders, propagandists in the Western media, not only in the United States, Europe, and other places, and then... You know, I don't know if they would pay them in currency or tit-for-tat access for stories or, or what it would be. I mean, who knows? But it would certainly, if I were them, I would hire or try to hire willing dupes. And, the, and, and it would be easy to do because you could play on their, you know, Trump derangement syndrome. But I, I just wonder about it, and we're going to talk about it. Um, we're always glad when this gentleman joins our show on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. Uh, he's a professor of law and the founder and one of the contributors at LegalInsurrection.com, Professor William Jacobson. Professor, good afternoon. Welcome back. Thank you for having me back. I was very interested in something I saw you talking about the other night on television. You've started a, a new project called the Equal Protection Project, which is about equity, which despite the way the word sounds, is actually not the protection of equality. It's really the opposite of it. Why, why have you now decided to take on the issue of or the term uh, equity? Yes, well, we started the Equal Protection Project, and the, the address is equalprotect.org. Anybody can go to it. And it's because we've seen too many instances where we are going back to the 1950s except the target is different this time. Uh, in the 1950s, it was black Americans, it was other uh, you know, non-white Americans were targeted. We've come so far beyond that over 70 years. We have laws in place, we have all sorts of protections in place. But in the last two to three years particularly, some people have gotten it in their head, started on campuses and now it's almost everywhere, that it's okay to discriminate, that racism is okay as long as it's directed at whites. And that, that equity, that if there's some uh, disproportionate number of whites in this teaching capacity or wherever, the way you equalize that is you discriminate. And we saw that in Providence, Rhode Island. We're based in, Providence, we're based in Rhode Island, where the Providence School District, the largest in the state, has a teacher hiring incentive program where if you're a new teacher, you can get your student loans forgiven by the government, except if you're white, if you're only programs only open to non-whites to have that reversed in 2023 to have a program that so openly discriminates and they don't seem to be upset by it nobody in the government seems to be upset by it if the roles were reversed it would be a, a legitimate scandal so we're seeing this legitimization of racism and we think it needs to stop because we have to be a society that's against racism across the board it can't just be pick and choose before we get into the, the logic or philosophy, just as a matter of the Constitution, is that not unequal treatment under the law? 
It absolutely is. And we have filed a federal complaint. It's now at the EEOC. Uh, and these are the sort of things we're going to be doing. As these things come to our attention, sometimes a letter will be enough to stop it. Sometimes publicity will be enough to stop it. Sometimes an administrative complaint. But if it comes down to it and we have to sue, we will do that because we have to be a society that treats people equally, that we live up to the laws that we have in place, which are non based on non-discrimination. Right. And you can't pick and choose who you're going to discriminate against. Now, that's the law, and I agree with you. What do you say to a white person who hears this and says, well, after all, we had a, a long run and we had a lot of privilege and we benefited from that past discrimination you referred to. So don't we have to do this now for a while to pull the car out of the ditch, get it back on the road? Well, first of all, that's a collective guilt philosophy. And our law and our society does not normally accept collective guilt. One person applying for a job, regardless of their skin color, is not responsible for whatever people with similar skill and colors did. And you could use that against blacks, against whites, against anybody. There is no such concept as collective guilt. And so, you know, as a legal matter, we reject collective guilt. Mm -hmm. And I think as a society, we should. Now, I do understand mm -hmm. there are some people who advocate for collective guilt, but I don't think that's something that we should adopt as a nation, and that's what we're fighting against. When you think about affirmative action, which is much older, um, you, you, I always remember that first it was presented as, well, it'll be very limited, it will be temporary, it will be corrective, um, and, and yet you and I know that succeeding Congresses, succeeding presidents, both parties, all the political permutations, it, it has never gone away. We haven't even put a dent in it. Are you worried that if this goes beyond a few years, this concept will be equally enshrined as the new normal? Yes, I think there is. You're beginning to see a little bit of rumblings of this concept of equity and diversity, equity, and inclusion make their way into the judiciary. There have been some decisions out of Washington State which suggest that. And so, yes, I think as you have people who grew up on campuses and in law schools adhering to this ideology, you will find this uh, you know, acceptance of discrimination creeping into the law under the concept of equity. So, again, the uh, it's called the Equal Protection Project. The website you can check out, and you should, is equalprotect.org, equalprotect.org. And it's part of uh, the work that uh, Professor Jacobson does at LegalInsurrection.com. I noticed today you were writing about, and we've been talking about, the uh, the story that the Department of Energy has the paper on the origins of COVID being the Wuhan lab. They're trying to talk it down or pull it back at the White House today, saying, well, it's a preliminary finding. But I'm curious to know what you think, Professor Jacobson, about the energy and the alacrity with which our media spent the last two or three years knocking that down. In other words, not just failing to explore it, but saying it was not even to be mentioned. That's right. I mean, this was the most always the most obvious way this disease started in the city of Wuhan, which was a leak from a level four lab in Wuhan studying this very same virus, which had a long history of lax security measures. So logically, you would say this didn't just happen to appear near 
the Wuhan lab studying these viruses. So that was always the most obvious, and the Chinese government immediately clamped down and started destroying evidence. There were researchers who disappeared. There was lack of access from the outside. And one thing we wrote about, I think it was in March of 2020, a group of Chinese university researchers said it likely started in the lab and they were disappeared and that mm -hmm. that no one was allowed to mention it so the media didn't want the uncomfortable truth that in all likelihood this worldwide pandemic that killed millions of people probably started in the well it did start in the city of Wuhan and it probably was from mm -hmm. shoddy practices at the Wuhan lab but that Chinese government clamped down on that disappeared people and created this concept that if you mention the virus in connection with Wuhan, somehow that's racist. But we've always identified diseases and viruses with regard to where they originated. That's not a new practice. And it was part of a cover-up because this, the Chinese government is most likely, we'll never know for sure because they've destroyed the evidence, but most likely the culprit here. Yeah. Professor Jacobson, always good to have you. Appreciate your time with us. Keep up the great work, EqualProtect.org, to find out more about the Equal Protection Project. Thank you tonight. Take care. All right, we're going to uh, continue this conversation, you and I, 210-599-5555. Um, I mean, I do think I, I love what he's doing, and, and I do like the comparison to the Jim Crow era. My read of that, because I wasn't alive in the 50s, but from what I've read, what I've heard, at least in the Jim Crow era, whether you're talking about poll taxes, redlining of real estate, bank loans, educational opportunities, they had to be a little bit crafty. You know, they had to be a little bit uh, sneaky. They were discriminating against black people. They were keeping black people out of neighborhoods, out of schools. Uh, they were instituting again under the aegis of law and government they were they were formalizing or institutionalizing racism but today the equity thing today i mean this is how i feel about it it's much more blatant i mean you're just putting right on there non-whites need not apply so i'm not trying to do a victim competition or whatever I, i'm just it is similar. It's perhaps even a little more um, ham-handed or ham-fisted or whatever the term is. Um, but but uh, do you do you think people when they hear about it is are are most people black or white? Are most people's reaction well that's we can't be doing that, or are most people's reaction going to be because they've been led to think this that? Such discrimination is corrective. It's the only thing we can do because of where we've been. I want to talk about that. We're asking you on the JR poll, also at KTSA.com. Will the new pitch clock in Major League Baseball make you more or less likely to watch Major League Baseball games? And I guess, I guess the, the, the test really isn't are the games shorter, but does, the shortening of them, whatever that might be, if they're shorter by five minutes or fifteen minutes or something, does that does that bring people back to baseball? Does that keep people tuned? I I, I find that. I mean, tell me if you think I'm wrong. I just that doesn't seem like it at all. 
And I kind of go back to the idea that maybe baseball has to know where it stands now. It is probably not what it was when we were kids. But it may be the game for people that want the the strategy and the the sort of timelessness of it. And, you know, there's something about whether you're watching a baseball game or being at a baseball game, it's sort of synonymous with, you know, you kick back, you sit back, you relax. Unless it's the World Series or it's a Game 7 or it's a no-hitter, you're usually not on the edge of your seat. It's not that kind of sport, right? And um, and I think that's its virtue. You know, I, I trying to take that out of it is sort of like trying to take um, one of the main ingredients out of a recipe. You you can do it, but that may not improve it. 210-599-5555. So if we had a nickel for every time we've talked about like young people and the culture and what's happening to us, we'd be rich, right? Maybe you are rich. I don't know. So the, there's a new governor in in Maryland named Wes Moore. He was just sworn in about a month ago. He's an Afghan war veteran, uh, served in the Army. He ran a couple of nonprofits uh, before he became governor. He is considered one of the brightest stars in the Democratic Party. I think Wes Moore will eventually run for president. So right off the bat, he's got a public service program for um, young people in his state. It's a call to service. And the plan is that the state will place high school graduates in jobs with nonprofits, with for-profit companies, with churches, with unions, with other organizations, they will be paid $15 per hour, and the state will pay a bonus if you complete a year of service. This is what they're calling it. Okay, service. Come back to that word in a minute. And Governor Moore says, we need this. We, we need to bring our, our people together. This will help us in a time of political divisiveness. This is a bridge to bring different kinds of people and different groups together. Um, and I, I, when I first heard about it and I heard the word service, I was thinking, well, is it like the Peace Corps? I mean, is it like a go give a year of service, go volunteer your time, go... But what it really is, if I'm reading it right, and I've read a couple of articles about it, 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 it sounds like it's basically just a jobs program where the government is, is matching people to jobs and then demanding they be paid a certain amount and then also paying them a little more if they're part of the matching program. And I think he's missing an opportunity here because I, I think what would be much more appealing would be if you were holding up as an example service. But if you're just talking about getting your first job, people should be able to do that without the government getting involved. You know, why is the government placing 
these young men and women in their jobs. We have a labor market. And if anything, government should always be interested in strengthening the labor market or getting out of the way of the labor market. And so I don't know why you would do that other than for political purposes. But if it was, hey, we're going to have everybody do a year of service or volunteer or what have you, public service, would you like that idea? Is that something you would like? Because I've heard people say, as long as I've been doing this, we really need mandatory conscription or we need a draft or we need people need to serve their community before they go off to college or before they go in pursuit of their careers. That, that, that's what's missing when we look at our society, when we look at the development of young people. They don't have any connection to their community. They don't really know it. It makes them susceptible to being played against it. I mean, how do you get young people to, to rip apart and, and, and burn or loot or, or vandalize their own neighborhood? Well, it starts when they don't really feel any part of it. And you tell them it's, it's somebody else's stuff. It's not your stuff. And maybe community service would make you feel more connected. Like, Hey, I know these people. I'm not going to wreck them. What do you think? 210-599-5555. So the, the program in Maryland is uh, a year of what they call service, but it's really a job, your first job. Do we need the government to do that? Do you like the idea of it? Is there something I'm missing that we need the government to do that? Do we not have other ways that already happens or could happen? I mean, if if you're 18 and you don't have a job, is that because the government isn't helping you get one? 210-599-5555. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to um, talk about this pitch clock in baseball. It's the JR poll question. Uh, will it make you more or less likely to watch? Omar is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Omar, good afternoon. Hello, Jack. How are you? Mm. Doing good. How's, how's everything going with you and your family? Uh, it's <clears throat> same old, same old. We're, we're, yeah. we're making it. <laughs> Gabriel doing Hope okay? Doing, yes, yes, he is. Hope your ears and your, everybody on that side is doing Thank well. Doing. Um, the pitch clock, negative. You know, you can't watch a baseball game. It's been the same. It's been that since, what, the 20s, teens? I mean, baseball's yeah. been around forever. Yeah. And and I played a lot, and, I, and by that I mean <clears> – <throat> I played through high school and I was, I was promised a look just because somebody knew somebody at a junior college, but I got injured my, my, my senior summer, you know, summer after my junior year and it just never happened. But, you know, that was part of, part of my strategy. I pitched and played outfield for when I wasn't pitching, I was outfield. And, you know, sometimes I'd, I'd get on the mound and if that batter was looking down and his hand wasn't up and he, he was, you know, in the box, I'm coming with it sometimes or, you know, two pitches later, I'm sitting, standing there 10 seconds looking straight at him. You know, it just throw, throwing the timing off. You know, that was part of strategy. Pitchers do that right. nowadays. And, you know, right. but I don't think, I don't think that's going to do anything for, to shorten the length of, of the game, you know, and, and also, you know, baseball, you always find those people, like, how can you watch it? It's so slow. It's so boring. Well, you know, that, that game can go from two miles an hour to 200 miles an hour in a pitch that quick. Yeah. And everybody's yep. moving. And you yep. better know where you're going or you're going to mess something up. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like if you 
if you love baseball, you're better off explaining it and defending it than trying to make it into some other sport. I mean, almost it almost sounds like they're trying to make it into the NBA, yeah. where everything yeah. has yeah. a clock on it and a timer on it. And I yeah. and I get why that is in a in a in a timed sport. I get why you would do that, but um, yeah, you're right. I mean, the strategy of baseball is dependent on not having a time limit. So our kids. I mean, clearly, kids are not into it like we were. Um, no, not at all. Is there all. anything you could do? Is there anything you could do to to change that? I, I'm not sure I, there is. You, yeah, I don't. I don't know either. I've heard that question, you know, uh, posed on on radio for you know here and there, and then I don't. I don't know what it is. I think it's just times like uh, what's the name of saying? You know, I think it's just different times, and and these darn phones have yeah. occupied yeah. and taken over children like nothing, nothing else. It's a drug. It is an addiction. Yeah. In some yeah. cases, not all. No and, and and like any other drug, it, it actually changes your brain chemistry so that yes. you yeah. you now have a different kind of attention span. The way you the way you watch things is is different and, and I see it in, in my daughter and in, I'm sure you see it in your kids. It's they're just yes. like sh- they like shorter they don't even listen to a whole song. Songs are only two or three minutes yeah. long. They don't even listen to a whole song, they're like forty seconds and they're good. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. So, Omar, good to hear from you. Thanks for the call, and I hope you're doing well. Um, I, I'm not. This isn't a criticism of of Ute. <laughs> I mean, it, it, people change, generations change, but I don't think baseball is going to catch him with the with the pitch clock. What do you think? So, the governor of Maryland, newly elected uh, Democrat Wes Moore, is calling for a service year for young people in his state because volunteerism is declining across America. I'll give you an interesting number on that. So volunteerism means we need more public service. So his answer is, let's get them jobs and pay them $15 an hour plus a $3,000 bonus. I must, be, I must be missing something. That doesn't sound like volunteerism. I thought volunteerism was when you didn't get paid. I volunteered to do it. You didn't volunteer to go to work today. They paid you. Now, why is volunteerism down? Oh, you'll love this. According to the statistics, volunteerism in America goes up every year until 2021. Volunteerism declined. What was going on? Help me remember. I'm I'm so bad with memory. What was going on in 2020 and 2021 that might have eaten into? Come on, it's on the tip of my tongue. That might have eaten into people's ability or willingness to go volunteer for something, or sign up, or join a nonprofit, or go clean up graffiti. What was going on back then? I'm trying to remember. Do you remember? I can't. Yeah, exactly. Another great outcome from our genius COVID-19 response. Yeah, I would imagine volunteerism would go down if people can't leave their house. I would imagine that's a problem. I would imagine that would be a a, a crimp in 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 the plan. Leave it to the government to create the problem and then 
announce they're going to solve the problem and then not solve it. Because with all due respect, and, and I do respect Wes Moore, this is just a jobs program. This is Indeed.com. This is, you know, hiring people. And, and there's nothing wrong with hiring people, but the government doesn't need to help you get get a job. The government needs to get out of the way of those who create jobs. Like maybe less interference, less regulation, less uh, licensing. You shouldn't need onerous amounts of qualifying and licensing to do something like cut hair or paint nails. And if you if you get the government out of the the business of blocking and interfering, if you make fewer hoops for which uh, people have to jump through, maybe maybe hiring happens faster, or maybe there's a little more of it. But the government doesn't have to match people with jobs. That's what they're doing. It it just it to me, and maybe you think differently. Volunteerism means you're you're giving of your time. And by the way, it's good to do both. You know, it's good to work and have a paying job, and it's good to volunteer. And sometimes those are the same thing in the sense that sometimes your job is also your calling or your job is also a great public service. But there are also people that have jobs that they don't find very fulfilling or meaningful, and that's where volunteering can kind of fit fit the bill because you say, well, I, I do my nine to five and that's okay. But then I go do this thing on weekends or at nights where I work with young people or I mentor or I bring meals to the elderly or I clean graffiti. And I really feel good about that. 210-599-5555. Rob is on the radio with this uh, jobs program in Maryland. Rob, what do you think of it? Yes. Good afternoon, Jack. No, Jack, I got to disagree with you. This is a good program for teenagers to make extra money and uh, to save money. I don't know if they're going to save money, but it's good for the economy, especially for the state of Maryland. Um, uh, I don't. Well, it's good for people to work, but why does the government, but but Rob, why does the government have to help people get the job? Why in the other 49 states do people just apply for jobs? And in Maryland, the governor has to help them get the job. Okay, Jack, that's my question. I would think they're going to have a, a, a whole tidal wave of people, teenagers, applying. I'm talking about, like, you know, 18, uh, applying for these jobs. And um, who's going to select which ones are going to get the jobs? What, sons or daughters of politicians? That's <laughs> I don't know. Because it's yeah. a good $3,000 bonus, right. $15 yeah. an hour. That's a right. good that's a good, uh, to me, that's a good gig. If you want to volunteer, you can do this job, volunteer part-time. Oh, there's no, volunteer, the there's no volunteering in this at all. This, the, they're using the word, but as far as I can tell, this is all paid work. You, no, you would agree with me word. that a volunteer, yes. a volunteer does not get paid, right? Yes, I agree with okay. you. I agree with you. So a job is not a volunteer position, and so if we're just talking about jobs... You can call it anything you want, but the government doesn't need to establish people in a job. People need to do that for themselves. Yes, sir. But uh, if I was a teenager and I lived in Maryland, I would go right to, <laughs> I would run over there to apply for a $3,000 bonus, 15 an hour. <laughs> 
Yeah, I no, I, I get what I get. What you're saying, the money is the money is going to be uh, a powerful incentive. Uh, I don't know if it's a very good investment for the taxpayers of that state, though. Rob, I appreciate the call. Player for Northern Kentucky University with the name of Liam McFadden Ackman. That is a name. Mm. Uh, on Sunday afternoon, accomplished a feat for the first time in college baseball history. He came to bat with the bases loaded twice in one inning. That's never happened in college? Apparently not. Wow. They had a 14-run first inning. North, the, I love the team name. North Kentucky University, the team name, the Norse. Oh, wow. The Norse. Yeah, that's cool. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. So hung 14 in the first inning on Western Michigan. I was going to say there had and, to be uh, some runs scored there. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. It was not a it was not a pitcher's duel. I don't think they needed <laughs> no. the um I don't think they needed the pitch clock <laughs> or uh, big for this bases. One. Yeah. Uh he had uh, two grand slams. Oh, he inning. did? Yeah. Oh, so he didn't just come to the plate with the bases yeah. loaded. He hit two grand slams. Yeah. Now, yeah, that would be rare. I believe that. Yeah. Nice. Kind of sad though to do that when you're just starting out. I mean, now you know. What have you got to look forward to? Doing just, the big just leagues. the best day you're ever going to have, you know? Yeah. Tough bar remember, to, to raise. Remember that name. Liam McFadden Ackman of the Northern Kentucky Norse. I guess they can't <laughs> be the Norsemen. That would be uh, politically incorrect. They're just oh. the Norse. All right, sir. Have a good night. Thank you so much. Uh, later in this hour, we'll have the results on the JR poll. We're asking you kind of a baseball question tonight. Is Major League Baseball's new pitch clock uh, going to make you more or less likely to watch? Um, there's not a lot of baseball fans in our audience, so I, I know this is not a, a, a real hot topic. But I, I do I do think it's interesting that almost everyone that has an opinion about it is already watching baseball games. And yet baseball's problem, seems to me, is how do you get a new generation of fans in to your sport? And I, I may be wrong, but I don't think tweaking the rules or how long a guy's in the batter's box. I mean, you've got to figure out how to make this relevant to people to, to whom it is not relevant now. And if there was a sport you had no interest in and didn't watch and didn't know anything about, and I said, you should check it out. They changed one of the rules. I don't think, I don't think that would make you do it. If I said, you should check it out, they're, you know, giving away a million dollars every inning or they're playing in the nude or they're, I mean, but just some sort of rules change. I don't see that like, Oh, the fans are flocking. We've got to see this anyway. 210-599-5555, the New York Post, the Wall Street Journal, among others, reporting that the U.S. Department of Energy has preliminarily concluded that COVID-19 originated in the lab in Wuhan, China. And here we have another one of those moments we've had a lot of in the last few years where what used to be a quote-unquote conspiracy theory is now a mainstream, a piece of mainstream reporting. But... Do you wonder, as I do, why there there was such an unwillingness to go with this story or to at least investigate it? I mean, first of all, if you live in a town with a, a nuclear facility and all of a sudden there's a lot of radiation poisoning, you ought to take a look at the nuclear facility first, right? 
I mean, it's, that's the first place you should look. You should round up the usual suspects. So first, there should have been a lot of curiosity and, and appetite for pursuing the story. COVID has killed and hurt and cost on an epic scale. We, we are curiously uninterested in how this happened. And if there is a culprit, who that culprit is. We don't, at the end of a war, leave the war crimes unpunished. We don't leave acts of piracy unpunished. We have fought wars to punish acts of aggression that were far less harmful than this was. Do you not find it weird? I find it very weird. I may be the only one. I don't think I am, though. That every muscle in government, in academia, would not be flexed in the pursuit of how in the hell did this happen? Did somebody do this intentionally? How did they do it? What was the how was the crime committed? And then following on from that, what will we do? How do we dispose of and dispense with the culprit or culprits or cause or, or if it was accidental or, or what have you? And reparations and, and so forth. But you, you can't talk about it. Almost no one wants to talk about it. I find that weird. So I look at the media behavior with the COVID lab leak theory, now apparently explanation. I think two things. I think they were trying very hard not to endorse something Trump had endorsed because Trump came out early and said, I think it was the Wuhan lab. He called it the Wuhan flu. Remember, you couldn't even call it that, which is not even a, a, a disparagement. We, we've routinely, historically, named viruses after their place of origin or first appearance. So I think part of it was TDS, and then maybe part of it, maybe, I don't know. I just wonder, did the Chinese government, which is certainly not chintzy when it comes to spreading money around and buying influence and and securing favorable treatment and favorable coverage and donating money to institutions it wants to have a voice in or control of, did they did they hire themselves some journalists? Because boy, our media did an incredible job with their story, their propaganda, their party line. I mean, if that's not if they if they weren't paid for that, you want to talk about volunteerism? That was some major volunteerism by our media. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Is it true? that Western leaders, including President Biden, are telling President Zelensky of Ukraine privately something very different than they're saying publicly. Publicly, the, 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 the remarks are ringing endorsements of Ukraine. You will have us with you as long as it takes, whatever you need. They're again talking about F-16s. But according to the Wall Street Journal, privately... Leaders of the U.S., France, U.K., Germany, uh, others, EU, are telling Zelensky, you've got to make peace. You need a negotiated end to this war. You can't win it. By the way, I do kind of wonder, 
if NATO is so important that President Biden says we will defend every square inch of NATO territory, and when he says that, he's only doubling down on what all of his predecessors have said. But if NATO is the, is the, is the most important overseas commitment we have, then why would you empty out the, the arsenals of NATO and hand them over to a country that might be overrun, that might lose, to Russia? How are you going to defend NATO if you've emptied out the coffers and emptied out the arsenals? I know you can, I know you can just print more money and buy more stuff, but it, it, it's, not a, it's not a very consistent message. Like, I can understand helping Ukraine. I would do that. But I would make sure that there were no shortages or shortfalls or deficits in the U.S. arsenal and in NATO's. Because, look, in the last 100, 110 years, the two most ruinous, disastrous wars in modern history have started in and largely been fought over Europe and amongst the states of Europe. It is a very good investment. And every American president from Truman to Reagan to present day has seen that it's a very good investment to keep the peace, to be a nursemaid to the peace. So if that's important, then why are you giving it all to Ukraine? Ukraine's not going to defend NATO. And if you're not, if you're not convinced NATO will win, what, what's going to become of everything you're parking there? When I went to school for journalism, that's what I went to college for. That's what my degree is in. Um, my parents were very excited because they thought I was going to be a writer. And, um, that was respectable. That was admirable. They had never been to college. No one in my family had ever been to college. And now there was going to be a writer in the family. I mean, they would have preferred a lawyer or a doctor, but a writer is pretty good. And when I ever told them, well, it's actually for broadcast journalism, I'll be talking. They were crestfallen. And I tried to rescue myself. I said, well, you know, you got to write before you read it sometimes. Well, no, we thought you were going to be a writer. I say that because we have this story today about how the a state of Ian Fleming, the man that wrote the uh, James Bond novels and short stories that became the movie series, the estate of Ian Fleming, he's been, he's been gone for over 60 years, but um, they've uh, granted permission to some sensitivity writers to come in and rework all the stories. There'll be new issues published next month that take all the racial and ethnic and dated and unwoke references out of the books. You know, I can understand woke people not liking James Bond. He's white, he's male, he's straight, he uses a gun. I mean, good grief. But but just leave it, right? Just just leave it. Write your own book. Write your own, make your own hero. Make a transgender uh spy you know but no they've got to leech on and insinuate and 
rewrite and eliminate the microaggressions and the dated words and phrases. What do you think about that? 210-599-5555. You see, this is, these are people that can't write, I believe. They can't write their own book. Because if they could, they would. It would be a better gig. So rather than just face their dearth of talent, rather than just acknowledge Ian Fleming, that guy could write, they'll show him, they'll show us, they'll rewrite him. Tom is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Tom, good afternoon. How are you? How are you? Hey, Tom. Uh, Jack, uh, I'm really thinking about this, and even your, your little intro into this even brings up even more conversation. Uh, they're trying to change what's already written. You know, I, I kind of call that plagiarism. The mm. second side of it is, is I mean, we're Shakespeare and all this. We're, 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 now, are they going to leave the original copies out there side by side and say, you choose one? Well, they're doing Shakespeare, they're too. I read that last week. Yeah, they're doing Shakespeare. Well, and Chaucer and all the, all, the old, uh, all the old Anglo, you know, Saxon authors and classics that you, you you know that you study in college all that's going well you know in in as i was eighth grade i believe and i'm not going to count on my years but uh one of our required readings was Truman Capote in cold blood and and you know uh what's the difference let's teach people mm. how to you know to murder and write a report about it and then let's mm. take james bond and his his uh as a murder mystery sexist and you know, I love James Bond. That's one of my. I'm I'm a I'm a huge fan. So yeah, me too. I, I me just too. really I really hate that they're they're doing these things, and and I really don't understand it because obviously these people were either well protected or extremely sheltered, or uh, I don't understand where their life is because they really have none. Well, you know, you said plagiarism, which is a, a good word. They couldn't do this if they didn't get the permission of the people that own the rights to these books. And those people are not doing their job. They have one job, and that is to protect what the author left behind. I agree. Protect the integrity of the author, but also, who wrote them a paycheck? What numbers are they throwing yeah. them? Yeah. Let's do this. Yeah. You know, dollar signs are always the driving factor. Talking about yeah. the Wuhan stuff, it's always money-driven. No, you're right about that. You're right about that. It's a great, it's a great point. Uh, Tom, thank you. I appreciate your call. I agree with you. By the way, I also think, um, just to get back to the point about you had one job. So when you are the custodian of, a, of an estate of, of a writer or uh, some creative person, um, you're, you're always, I would think you're always on guard is somebody like Tom said, or somebody plagiarizing this work. Uh, is somebody using it without permission? Is somebody making money without license? Is somebody printing it in, in, without authorization? Just, just, just printing it. You know, you can't put out a new edition or a new run a new printing without the estate signing off. Certainly, if you're on the lookout for that, <laughs> you would be on the lookout for somebody who says, "Hey, we're just going to rework it." I mean, it's flabbergasting to me, the retreat of people who should be standing their ground. I'm not as shocked by the wokeness of the times we live in as I am by the retreat of people who ought to know better. 
Why are you giving up? Why are you giving in? What do you think you will gain? You had one job. I'm not asking you to write a James Bond novel. Just protect it. Couldn't do it. Bob is on the radio on KTSA. Bob, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. I think George Orwell predicted these behaviors occurring with his Ministry of Truth in mm. that they rewrote every history book and every novel yeah. and every news story. Yeah. I guess they're going to have to rewrite George Orwell, right? Because we keep referring to him. They can't let that book sit around the way it is, right? Nah, they'll just burn it. Well, that's why I say I think the things we've got to do, the thing we've got to do is is maintain actual physical copies of books. And I'm not trying to sway you if you have an e-reader and you love your e-reader and all my friends have e-readers. They they think I'm funny for carrying around musty, bulky copies of books. But But you know what? My books will stay the same. I don't know what happens. When this stuff starts going on, like with the Ian Fleming books or the Roald Dahl books, how do I know that one day when I pull that up on my Kindle or my e-reader, they haven't altered it? Uh, you don't. So I, I, I know at least if I own the book physically, I don't have to depend on a new copy or an electronic copy. And I, 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 I used to hear people say this, and I thought it sounded a little paranoid. They were like, I'm never giving up my hard copy books. I'm never giving up. Well, now I see why. I'm in a quicksand, and I'm starting to sing. I need someone to help me, but I don't know which way to turn. I know I don't have much of a choice. I'll go out of my mind. Or into the night. Jack Riccardi, by the way, I'm not doing a commercial for them or anything, but... Uh, I would if if you have authors you like if there are books you like um, I I highly recommend a website called thriftbooks.com uh, a lot of the used books I like to buy if I can't find them by going to a half price bookstore here in town and those are great too but my go to is thriftbooks.com they've been great they're totally reliable they've never messed up an order for me and you can actually you can actually buy used books through Amazon too a lot of people don't know that but when you Search a title on Amazon. It will give you the used purchase options. And it's basically, they're acting as a middleman for um, other resellers like Goodwill and different other outfits, smaller businesses. So anyway, um, yeah, get your get yourself a library for yourself, for your kids, for your grandkids. Start building an actual book library. I don't mean building it like building shelves. I mean just owning uh, physical books because um, there's no telling this this will eventually run its course but there's no telling how much damage these woke locusts are going to do to our literature before they're done so 210-599-5555 I want to play this uh, Don if we can set up uh, cut number one this just was funny to me uh, the other day they were asking President Biden they ask him this every day about going to East Palestine. I mean, just go, for crying out loud. What the, why is it so important not to go? But anyway, and he was fumbling and stumbling and bumbling through an answer. T- take a listen to this answer, uh, cut number one. Planning to travel to East Palestine, I, I, I did a whole 
videos, I mean, uh, you know, the, uh, what the hell, on Zoom? Zoom. Zoom. All I can every time I think of Zoom, that song of my generation, who's Zoom and who? But, uh, and, and, wait, 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 let me answer the question. The answer is that I, uh, I had a long meeting with my team and what they're doing. You know, we were there two hours after the train went down. Two hours. I've spoken with every single major figure in both United, in both Pennsylvania and in, 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 in uh, Ohio. And so the idea that we're not engaged is just simply not not there. And initially, there was not a request for me to go out. Okay. Even before I was. So he says he's been uh, having Zoom calls with the people involved. That's why he doesn't have to go. Um, but that you know what I loved was when he said that song of my generation. Who's Zoom and who? Um, that's not your generation. That was the 1980s, right? That's Aretha Franklin. Do we have that song done? Who's Zoom and who? It's a great song. How dare Joe Biden use it to excuse his... <laughs> I'm not having that. I'm putting my foot... I'm offended. I'm putting my foot down. All right. I'm offended on behalf of Aretha Franklin. Why not? 210-599-5555. You'll love this. Remember defund the police? Remember defund the police? One of the big voices for defund the police was Congresswoman Cori Bush of Missouri. She's a Democrat. She's... I guess she's considered a squad... A Democrat. Cori Bush was one who we talked about because she was all for defunding the police, but she spends out of campaign money tens of thousands of dollars on private armed security. So she has police. She doesn't think you need them. Well, according to television station KSDK in St. Louis, Congresswoman Bush has now married one of her private security guards, a man named Courtney Merritt. They got married over the, uh, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. She had previously described herself as a single mother with two children. Now she's married to Courtney Merritt, who she paid $62,359 for in security services last year. I don't know the law, but it would seem to me if you gave your Boyfriend, soon to be husband, sixty grand of campaign money. I don't know the law, but I'm thinking that might not be copacetic with the law. Can you do that? All told, she has spent over six hundred thousand dollars on private security since calling for defunding the police in the summer of twenty twenty. So I'll give her credit. While she wants to defund the police, she's actually funding the police. Only the police around her. Got to start somewhere. 210-599-5555. I didn't want to let this go by. Today is the um, anniversary of the first, or I guess it was yesterday, uh, the first World Trade Center attack. Yeah, Yesterday was the anniversary in 1993 of the rented... Uh, truck or van 
that was full of explosives and was parked in the basement garage under one of the World Trade Center towers. A cell of Islamist terrorists based in New Jersey had rented the van, hatched the plan, parked the van, and using a timed detonator so they could escape, blew it up. I was on the air in New York at the time that this happened, uh, New York State, and it was a very big, very scary story. There, there were a lot of injuries, and there were actually several killed. It was a very rocky, chaotic uh, evacuation of the World Trade Center. And the plan had been to try to topple one tower into the other, which probably would have been much worse than the 2001 attack, which resulted in uh, nearly 3,000 killed, uh, was. So it knocked out power. It decimated that area of the parking garage. The towers stood. and um, And then they came back. And it's it's always stayed with me for a couple of reasons. Um, first, I think we need to remember that the terrorists came back for that target. So when they are foiled or when their plans don't go as designed, we should not declare victory because we're against people who are long-term planners. They're in this for the long game. And... You can foil them, you can arrest them, you can preempt them, you can stop them. They don't give up. They're not done with anything they've attacked in our country. The only, the only thing they're going to be done with is something they've completely destroyed. But they're not done. We, we don't talk about them anymore. We don't talk about Islamic terrorism. We don't talk about Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Here's the other thing I just want to point out really quickly. They spent a lot of time trying to convince the West and the United States that they were at war with us, and we didn't listen. We eventually went to war with them after they attacked on September 11, 2001. But as early as 1996, and you can look this up. I'm not fabricating it or making it up to make a point. In, I believe, August of 1996, you can check the date, Al-Qaeda wrote a letter to the then Secretary of Defense. I forget who it was. It was whoever was currently serving as Defense Secretary under President Clinton. And they declared war. And this was an organization we knew about and knew of. It wasn't some crank letter that you'd get in the mail and throw away or put in a file. We knew who they were. We knew what they were capable of. 1996 was after the World Trade Center attack. It was while they were operating in other places. They had already carried out and were carrying out under attack, other attacks. They were about to attack our embassies in Africa. They were about to attack the USS Cole. And we did not take that declaration of war seriously. So they basically kept working at it till they got the war with us they wanted. I've never been able to shake that. You know, we... It's good to love peace and be a peace-loving people, but you can't ignore maniacs and fanatics 
who want to kill you. You, you. Ignoring them is not strength or forbearance or patience or anything like that. And we did, I think. All right, um, on the JR poll, we asked you, will the new pitch clock rule in Major League Baseball make you more or less likely to watch Major League Baseball? We had a lot of opinions about it, and frankly, it seemed like um, a lot of people really didn't feel it would make a difference one way or the other. But overall, the way people voted, 93% said less likely to watch. Not what they want to hear. 7% said more likely to watch, and we'll have a new Poll question here tomorrow at 4 Live or find the JR poll anytime at KTSA.com. And you can find our show that way as well. If you're not able to listen live between 4 and 7, if you miss a day or this isn't a good time for you to be with the radio, you can catch up on whole episode podcasts. We have a lot of people that just make this show part of, say, their weekend routine or their morning take-a-walk routine or whatever. You can do that on-demand listening just go to KTSA.com, the on-demand menu, or look for the Jack Riccardi Show wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Speaking of sports, by the way, we got to quickly sing the praises of uh, one of the best, most underrated guards in the NBA, uh, Damian Lillard, who I think if he played in a bigger market would be a bigger star, but he plays in Portland, and um, had a 71-point performance last night in a victory, Portland's uh, 131-114 victory over the Rockets, 71 points, and um, broke the franchise mark, his own personal record. It's one of the, I think they said, top five scoring performances in NBA history. And and the other thing I love about this guy is he's very humble, he is. He has stayed in Portland his whole career. I think he's probably this probably cost him some money, um, but he he likes it there. He likes the the franchise. He's he likes his teammates. He he's one of those guys that doesn't just shoot. He passes, and just it's good to see somebody like that do well. And it's an incredible uh, performance. It's been a big. I forget the exact statistic, but it's been a big year for like thirty point, forty point games in the NBA. I believe it's a record pace uh, this year. So it's funny how sports goes through those cycles, right, where you'll have scores will go down and then scoring will come back up again. And right now we're in one of those high-scoring, high, I guess you'd say high uh, excitement cycles. Baseball, I think, might just need... To weather the storm, you know, I, I, I don't think this pitch clock thing is the answer, but who knows when a Michael Jordan type of character, a Tiger Woods type of character, they, they transformed their sports. They brought fans into their sports. Maybe baseball will need a, a player like that, a transitional player. We'll see. We'll talk about it tomorrow. See you here at four.